Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hooligan Report. I'm joined this time by Cookson. Hello. And I'm also joined by Jats. Hey. Um, so we'll probably start with your mob, Jats, because um, we haven't had a podcast for a couple of weeks, and in that time there's been a few yeah, decent results for, for your mob. Um, the 2-0 win over Liverpool, and then more recently 3-1 over Manchester City. Um, and you just must be in dreamland. Uh, dreamland's a pretty good word for it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they've been amazing results. These were the, the supposed hard run uh, to see whether we were kind of be able to stick with it. And I think we've um, we've passed with flying colours so far. So it's six from six points available. Uh, yeah, it's been amazing. Well, there's just one point. When is Liverpool considered a hard game? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a day on mid-table. Let's get technical. Sure. Well, United wouldn't be considered too hard a game either at the moment, would they? Depends on which United shows up. <laughs> well, we'll chat about United in just a little bit, but um, I think, I don't know if I actually said it on the board, but I, I kind of had the view going into these City and um, uh, Arsenal games that for Leicester, if they could get four points, that would probably be a good return in the sense of keeping alive that dream of the title. And, and you've started pretty well with the three points against Man City. Uh, and very emphatically as well with, you know, going up 3-0 and only that late consolation goal for Aguero. But um, I feel like I feel like you can you can kind of dream about the title, but then there's always something in the back of your mind thinking it's not really going to happen. But are you seriously kind of viewing yourselves as a real chance of winning the title now? Uh, I think we have to be now. I, um, I'm as sceptical as anyone has been throughout the season that eventually it was going to drop off. And I think um, we did. We went through a bit of a form slump over Christmas there, and we were a bit lucky that so did uh, most other teams, I think. But I think the the performances that have come, uh, firstly against Liverpool, um, and then definitely against City on the weekend, they um, they weren't just kind of uh, lucky one nil wins or anything like that. They were the performance themselves were were, were quite good. Um, the, I mean, the game against City kind of speaks for itself. It was. It was going to the the Etihad, and um, which has normally been a pretty tough ground. And City had been in really good form at the Etihad, uh, and we were able to kind of we got the early goal, which um, which certainly helped, and then we we're able to kick on from there. So um, obviously City weren't at their best, but I think it's uh, it's paramount to make uh, the most of I guess all the top teams failing a little bit at the moment. Um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how we go this week against Arsenal. But if we can get it, even a draw. We've kind of put ourselves in a position now where we can afford to lose a game and we'll still be first at the end of the game week. So um, obviously we'd like to get three points to get Arsenal, but if, even if we lose that, that tie, we'll still be top and then we, we kind of hit an easier run. So, well, easier run on paper. Uh, whether that turns out to be the case uh, is yet to be seen. Well, I was going to ask you just one final question before we move on. I think Shearer was on Match of the Day talking about his experience at Blackburn and when they got a bit of a gap at the top of the table and it became this real possibility that they were going to win the title, that that's when the players started to tighten up a little bit and become a bit nervous. Um, and I know Friar Tuck's made a mention of it on the board, but obviously you guys won the championship title um, only two seasons ago, so it's not as if there's no experience with that sort of title race within the squad. But are you a bit worried about the players tightening up a bit over the next, I don't know, maybe you know the last seven or eight games of the season? Uh, I don't think so. Um it's a bit of an unknown, granted, um, and it's, I mean, because it's not 
expected it. It probably makes it a little bit more interesting than maybe the championship where uh, even on the run-in for the championship, we were kind of well up in front and, and had been kind of strong in the championship for a couple of seasons. Um, I think the run-in will be very interesting. I think we play a game plan that will allow us to um, kind of sit back and absorb pressure as we've done all season and then hit teams on the counter. So uh, short, short of Vardy or maybe Mares going through a bit of a form slump, I think um, our defense has looked really solid. Um, we've done exceptionally well uh, for about probably two or three months now in defense. And then we're seeing, I guess, the, the benefits that that can bring with the attackers kind of hitting form again. So um, it, it'll be interesting. And I guess there's no easy answer for that just yet. Um, but, yeah, the side has got kind of the championship winning um, experience from the championship. And then they've also got the um, – it's, it's not really the same thing, but the relegation battle last year when we were up against it, um, we, we managed to kind of shine through that as well. So I think there's enough experience in the squad there um, to suggest that we should be okay. But, I mean, this season's been all over the place, so who would know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Leicester's biggest enemies right now are themselves. Yeah. But, again, you can't compare Championship to Premier League. I mean, once oh, yeah. gets broadcasted in England, the next... It's worldwide. I mean, this worldwide news, everyone's going to talk about it. Absolutely, also, just from the point of view of, of holding off the chasing pack and, and the mentality of the players, but you're right. Yeah. Another thing is injuries. Can they avoid injuries? Because, I mean, what if Vardy Elmarez goes down? Would that really affect them as much as the same they would have Grower or for us, De Gea, etc.? I think Vardy's the interesting one. Um, Mares, I mean, Mares has been amazing, but we've got a couple of, um, like, all Brighton's played really well. Um, we've got a couple more wingers kind of in the ranks there. I think the striker position is where we're most weak. Um, and I'm not sure I'd be trusting... I mean, Okazaki's proven handy from time to time, but if Vardy was to be out for three or four weeks, that could really hurt um, any title chances that we were, we were looking for. So um, I think defence and kind of midfield set up okay. Maris is obviously a game-breaker at times, um, but I think if he was to go down, we could cover him a little bit better than what we could cover Vardy. I, I was very surprised you didn't bring in another striker in the January transfer window, particularly since you left um, let Kramerich go out early in the window. Um, but I think you just have to look at how you played against Manchester City to see what you can do when Vardy's not having a large impact on the game, and you still scored three goals. And and he was, he he wasn't he didn't have a poor game necessarily, but he wasn't exactly involved in a lot of the um, attacking play that led to those goals. Um, he had he certainly had a few very good runs against the City defence, but um, I I would I don't know like I mean it's very hard to pick a weak spot in that squad at the moment because. I mean, whilst the popular view is that Vardy and Mares are sort of carrying that side, even Sky Sports now are starting to analyse these lesser-looked-at lesser players that are sort of supporting that run. And you've got guys like Kante and Schmeichel, um, Wes Morgan, Huth, um, Albright and Drinkwater. Everyone's, everyone's putting in a shift on, in that side, and you can't really pick out a weak link at the moment. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, Vardy didn't have a great game on the weekend. He was... I mentioned in the game day thread, it could have easily been 5 or 6 nil with kind of the one-on-ones that he had. So, I mean, that was good to see that we were still able to get it done with, with him having a poor game. And then, obviously, if he has a good game, then it can only be better for us. So, um, I think we've got plenty of attacking threats there. Um, but if, if there was a longer injury, uh, fingers crossed that won't happen. But if there was, it could prove interesting. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll move on now and chat about um, United, um, since we've got Cookie here. 
uh, and four goals in the last two games is obviously a little bit of an upturn in, in fortunes for United. And with that 3-0 win against Stoke and then the 1-1 draw with Chelsea that could very nearly have been a 1-0 win, um, coupled with that news, the, the increasing amount of news with Mourinho um, potentially coming into the club, do you think Van Hal should see out the season? He probably will see out the season, then he'll probably retire to the sunset. Or if the top four is not available, he gets sacked. Do, do I mean, you see them sacking him this late in the season now? Uh, probably not. I mean, if we really wanted to support him, we would have made signings in January. Yeah. Do you, do you yeah. think I kind of alluded to it on the board? But would it be it'd be pretty interesting for the Manchester derby if we'll have Pellegrini up against Van Hal with you know pretty much the entire footballing world knowing that neither of them will be there next season? It'll be the world's first zombie game. <laughs> pretty much exactly. But just look. I mean, when we played against Stoke, we played fast, expressive football. We lost possession, but ultimately still dominated. I mean. Martial scored a ripper counter-attacking goal. Rooney's been playing well. But against Chelsea, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, we haven't had a good record at Stamford Bridge for quite a while. And you take a one-on-one draw against Chelsea away every day of the week. But it's more the fact that we completely shut up shop, panicked and shat our pants the moment we scored a goal. I mean, just get some possession, pass it around... Then one defensive mistake at the end pretty much cost us. Um, how much stock do you place in these rumours about Mourinho? Since it seems to be coming directly from him, do you think he's pretty much guaranteed to be there next season? Yeah, I mean, the BBC would not just write random bullshit with two writers. Yeah. And Manchester Evening News said it's not going to happen, which probably means it will. <laughs> And there's also been leaks about contracts now. And, well, pretty much us going for Renato or Sanchez would guarantee us Mourinho or vice versa. Because I see a lot of Mendes players coming in if we get Mourinho. Fair enough. Well, we'll move on uh, to another big topic from the weekend. Uh, and it's a bit more general than this game. But Liverpool drew at home 2-2 to Sunderland. Um, both of Sunderland's goals coming after the 77th minute in which um, about 10,000 Liverpool supporters walked out of the stadium in protest of ticket prices. Um, And it was revealed during the week that there'd been a meeting of all the Premier League clubs where I think uh, seven or eight Premier League clubs voted against capping ticket prices at £30 for away fans. Amongst those, United, City, Arsenal, um, Chelsea, Liverpool... Um, and I think West Ham might have been one of them as well. So it's kind of the usual suspects in, in terms of the top six or seven sides. Um, and I guess we've got the contrasting clubs uh, with Leicester and United. But but how are you guys? How do you guys view that sort of news that these clubs are sort of voting against capping ticket prices? Sorry, you can only assume that it's because they charge a lot more than what um, I guess the smaller clubs do for those away tickets. Um, it's probably hard to comment from from me because I obviously haven't been over there. Um, but I mean, the games the games aren't all televised, so they're wanting to get the the supporters into the grounds. Um, 
And to me, it would make sense to make it affordable for them to do that. I know some of those larger clubs are kind of going to have going to have the fans or supporters there regardless. But you don't really want to be pricing out. Um, I guess the the regular match day goers um, for the game. It was really interesting. I thought. It shouldn't have affected the Liverpool players, but I can't see how it couldn't. If you're kind of aiming at that goal and you see 10,000 people kind of walk out, yeah. um, like it's going to affect them. And, and it showed that it probably did. Whether it should have or not, that's a different question. But um, I can appreciate how they may have lost a bit of concentration with it all going on. And it, and it kind of proves the supporters' point, which it, it kind of indicates them that this is this is the effect that not having our support has on the players. If 10,000 of us walk out, this is what could potentially happen down the track if these fans are priced out of the game and you do start getting these sort of half-empty stands. And I agree with those big clubs, you're probably likely never to see a half-empty stadium because you'll have the tourists and so on who'll still fill the ground. But for a West Ham or for an Everton or for a Liverpool or whoever, if they're you know not able to fill the stadium and then the atmosphere suffers because of that um, and it can actually have an adverse effect on the team but um, how do you see it Cookson? Well I mean you kind of look at it what is it that capital is meant to be 30 pounds Yeah. and most clubs charge 60 something like that I think some bloke posted a picture on Twitter of him his ticket at the Chelsea Arsenal game where it was 87 pound and he had an obstructed view so he didn't actually have a good view of the game and he paid 87 quid for the ticket that's that's yeah. like AFL Grand Final sort of pricing. I mean, how much money do you reckon they'll be earning on... Because the Liverpool protest was about season tickets and all that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would cap the away pricing. I mean, they have to travel. It's a long distance. I mean, Bayern Munich also had the protest against Arsenal as well this season. Yeah. If you remember that but I would definitely would cut it. I mean, what's the purpose? It's what? How much would you get from away tickets, realistically? Uh, yeah, and and especially especially with the TV rights going up as they are next season, and I think I had, I had a suggestion on the board that if you kind of seal away a section of that revenue as you know um, a subsidy for these away tickets, and you say to the the twenty owners of the Premier League clubs that you're getting, say. Instead of getting 100 million next season, okay, well they're going to get 80 million, and that that extra 20 million is provided to them on the, you know, on the basis that they don't charge more than a certain a certain price for home and away tickets. Because especially for those smaller clubs, um, some and, and I I can speak from personal experience with Hull, that the owners raise the season ticket prices ridiculously for our second Premier League season. Um, in some ways, despite the fans, because of all the Hull Tigers nonsense, but um, those smaller clubs are just as as at risk from these sorts of ticket price rises, and they don't have those tourists or whoever behind them to fill the stand. And we're now playing in front of seventeen thousand in the Championship because the prices haven't come down. Um, so if you if you provide a certain amount of money as a subsidy for this lost revenue. The revenue that they get from the tickets is very minimal compared to the TV rights money. Yeah, it's like if lucky you'll be earning, say, have four thousand away tickets, which is yeah. way above average for every club. That's in charge of what seventy-five pounds. That's three hundred thousand pounds a year. That's doesn't three, even that's, three million or something. I think. No, that's my math right. No, no. Oh, yeah, you might be right. Seventy pounds. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever I mean, it is. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> not even wage. Challenging my maths at nine o'clock. Yeah, that's I, literally a weekly wage for. Massive. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's it's who one of the there's a really popular quote from one of the German owners who said something like, "We could charge them 110 pound a season for a ticket or 300 pound a season for a ticket, and we would make an extra two million in revenue." And when you're talking about a transfer, you quibble about two million for about ten seconds. Of course, if you're Liverpool, you quibble about that for a lot longer and can cost you a transfer. But for most clubs, you know, two million, three million, five million, even it's it's a drop in the ocean. Um, for the club, but for the fans, it makes such a huge difference. I think they need to look bigger picture too, without blowing our horn again. But I think we've seen, and neutrals have seen it as well, what a difference yeah, the can make. The, the players get right behind them, or sorry, the supporters get right behind the players, and you can see you can see what it means to them, and then it can drive on the players. I think Liverpool was an interesting one. Those season ticket holders, to, to be fair to Liverpool, it was only a certain amount of tickets that were going up. So I know that they had done some work. They were giving out free tickets to kids in schools, and um, I think the the kids' tickets themselves went down as well. But uh, obviously, there were some season tickets that went up. So um, I think I think the supporters are definitely within their rights to protest, um, and and it kind of came to a head on the weekend, I guess, with the result. There were also comments during the week from their owner, I think, where he outlined on the website the desire to transform the Liverpool fans into customers. And whenever you get into that sort of terminology, I think people sort of arch their backs a bit about, you know, that they're not customers, they're fans of the club. And I think I think it was the Premier League chief executive a little while ago, I, someone, I heard someone mentioning the comment that he'd said he wasn't too fussed about ticket prices going up because people would still be able to afford to go to two or three games a season. And there's that point of view that you're kind of, you're promoting these games to people to come to, you know, one or two or three games a season as a spectacle rather than these fans who go week in, week out and actually properly support their club. And as you say, Leicester's probably one of the best examples. Crystal Palace is another one where the the supporters at the at the home ground, home games just create such a fantastic atmosphere. And it's a better product on TV for that better atmosphere. So it's really shooting themselves in the foot if they price these guys out of games. Yeah, I agree. I think well, with, with the bigger clubs, the, the customer line kind of makes sense um, for... I guess tourists and and people that are watching it overseas, but the local match day goers, um, they don't want to be labelled customers. They they've been going for thirty years. They don't yeah. want to be uh, kind of referred to as customers. So uh, it's an interesting one. I think I think eventually they'll fall because they really do need the support. And it's and you see it time and again whenever there's these disputes between the owners and the fans. They can be ongoing and, and long-standing, but eventually the fans... Uh, and it, it comes back to that point that, you know, players come and go, managers come and go, owners come and go, but the one constant is always the fans. And eventually the fans will always win to some extent, um, unless you're, you know, a fan of Aston Villa, who we'll, we'll talk about quickly in a second. But generally the fans will kind of have that people power because the owners need to realise that that's where their revenue comes from. It's from the fans. Um, who, who go every week, who buy the merchandise, who support the club, and they can't just take them for granted. Yeah, agreed. Um, and so just quickly, as the final game to round up for this week, we had Aston Villa getting a 2-0 win over Norwich, and I'm raising this game because I just want to ask the question, any chance that Aston Villa can can mount a Leicester-esque escape? Oh, I don't think so. How far are they behind now? They are eight points apart away from points. Newcastle. Oh, look, it's yeah, it's very unlikely based on what they've shown up to this point in the season. You, you can't see it happening. I don't know. 
I think with us, we always had like goals yeah. in us yeah. potentially. I think um, through our run, we were a bit unlucky at times, but we always kind of looked attacking. Whereas, uh, admittedly, I've only seen Villa a few times this season, but they've had games where they haven't had a shot on target or haven't, yeah, really threatened at all. I think um, it, it'll be interesting though. Generally, clubs when they realise it's um, they've got to go all in, they can produce some interesting results. Um, but I would suggest it's incredibly unlikely. Just wanted to ask the question. Um, another interesting event from the past week was the sacking of Paul Clement from Derby. Um, and I wanted to talk about this one because it's probably one of the strangest sackings of this season. Um, some even saying it's stranger than Mourinho. Because here's a manager who's been given £25 million to spend in the championship, which isn't pocket change for a championship club. Um and as recently as December, their, their chairman was suggesting that he could be their Alex Ferguson. Um, and his comments seemed to suggest that Clement was sacked for having too short a term vision and that Clement was too focused on promotion rather than getting them playing the Derby way. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts both on, on firstly, just this sacking in, in specific, but also in terms of sackings in general and the way that managerial turnover is going. Uh, it was an interesting it's one. It's quite silly. Well, it's quite silly how he got sacked. I mean, this guy went from, what, being with Carlo Ancelotti, first managerial job. I mean, the only reason I can see it is because Derby's chairman thought he would panic again. Because didn't they go on a losing streak? Yeah, but that wasn't, that, that, wasn't, that was McLaren last yeah. year. He got rewarded with the Newcastle job. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's not like Clement can complain. He'll just go to Bayern Munich with Carlo Ancelotti again. I think that's the su- suggestion, yeah. But it's still it's just a really bizarre sacking, really stupid would, sacking. Would this be the first time a manager's been sacked for being too ambitious? Possibly. <laughs> imagine, imagine United sacking a manager for saying, oh, he was too focused on winning the Premier League title. Um, you know, we had to get rid of him. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's your take on it, Jats? Oh, I, yeah, I struggle to believe it. I know, I know their form hasn't been particularly good, but then he's coming out with reasons that, to, to me, don't make a whole lot of sense. Um, especially with what's happened. So Derby's been up the top of the championship throughout most of the last two or three seasons. Yeah, and it, at the end of each year, they're kind of doing the same thing where they're, they're crashing. So. I don't know. I what messages that sent to the fans that we're we're not interested in promotion as much as we're interested in the derby way. I reckon if you were to ask the fans, they would very much disagree with that. I I reckon yeah. As a fan, I'd be sitting there going, "What is the derby way?" Um, and and I was listening to a Hull um podcast earlier today where they were genuinely sitting there saying, "What's the Hull way?" I mean, this this talk of having this certain way of playing, I think. As long as you're playing attractive football and you're winning games, it doesn't really matter. They're, they've scored 40 goals for the season. They're one of the top scorers in the league. They're sitting in fifth, five points off the playoff places. And, you know, I, re- I honestly reckon that they're, they're really mentally scarred from that Premier League season where they got 11 points. Because you listen to the chairman talk, and he's talking about wanting to build this consolidated squad with lots of depth that can roll through a championship season and roll up into the Premier League and actually hold their own. And I think they're terrified of going up too quickly and having another utterly embarrassing season, um, which I find, I find really interesting. It reminds me a bit of Port Adelaide, for instance, being scarred for a number of years after being belted by Geelong in the grand final. Yeah, it makes sense. It reminded me, 
When I heard it, it reminded me of um, the Brentford manager being sacked last season yeah. after the yeah. playoff spots. It was like, well, wh- what do you want him to do? Realistically, he's doing what you're, what what we assume you want him to do. It just, yeah, it's it's a mind-boggling one. The only thing I can think of is that something's happened behind the scenes that they don't want to really let out. Yeah. But oh, I don't know. It's hard to justify, isn't it? And it was a really interesting one because my immediate thought was, oh well, Nigel Pearson will probably go there. And and that was the assumption from a number number of people that oh they must have sacked him because there's someone who's expressed interest in taking over that they feel more confident in someone like a Nigel Pearson. But they're they're, they're appointing their academy manager for the rest of the season. So as you say, it's just it's just a really weird one. Yeah. Um, well, we'll move on. There have been a couple of games uh, this morning. There was um, an FA Cup replay and there was also a championship game. But we'll we'll focus on the FA Cup game and. Uh, West Ham knocked Liverpool out in about the 121st minute, I believe, with an Ogbonna header. Um, Also saw the return of Daniel Sturridge to action. Um, Liverpool wouldn't be too upset with getting knocked out, though, would they? Well, it's less players can get injured, so... Well, that's games where Daniel Sturridge can get injured, but (laughs) they probably would be. I mean... You know, Liverpool want to win a trophy. I mean, and they just need to get any form of winning form, which they just don't have. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, um, I don't know they'd be particularly upset per se. I saw a stat before coming home from work, and it was saying that Liverpool's actually played two more games than any other club Mm. this season. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, Which is... I mean, for a squad that doesn't bat real deep, it's it's a lot of games. So um, I think they've still got a really good chance to win silverware against Man City. Um, they'll probably try and back themselves into the Europa League now that the league's looking unlikely for top four. Um, so I'm not sure it's... Oh, Any time you lose a game, you're disappointed, but I don't think it's the end of the world for them. Yeah, I think the fact that they're in the League Cup final means that losing in the FA Cup isn't really the end of the world because... They've still got that great opportunity for silverware. And then, as you say, they've also got Europa games coming up pretty soon. So I think having one less uh, competition to focus on is probably a good thing. Um, and a thought on West Ham, pretty pretty good win for them, I guess. I mean, I, I was surprised it went to a replay, to be honest. I thought West Ham would get the job done in the first leg, but um, still, still a good result for them. Um, on West Ham, actually, there's the news about Dimitri Payet signing a new, well, going into new contract negotiations after the supposed interest from China. So, what did you guys make of that? Well, he probably wants to play for France, get Eurosport, then maybe push for World Cup in 2018. So, probably better to stay at West Ham and maybe, maybe try transfer to a bigger club or something. It was an interesting one. I think he'll stay there. Um, he's only been there like six months so far. He's, he's obviously got an amazing amount of talent, but I don't know. I don't know he would suit an Arsenal or someone just yet. They'd probably want to see him do it for another season. Um, and then, yeah, I can understand why he's not wanting to go to China just yet with the Euros on the horizon and then the World Cup not that much further on. I think China makes a lot of sense for players um, a little bit like Paulinho or, or Ramirez who are not necessarily in the twilight of their career, but they're heading that way. Whereas Pyatt's only really just come on the scene you know, in the last... Oh, he, he did well in, in France or wherever he was beforehand, obviously, but um, he's really kind of come 
to, to light this season with West Ham. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay there for another 12, 18 months. I think it was a good win for West Ham this morning, though. Well, draw, technically. Ha. <laughs> uh, I think it was, yeah. I mean, they've beaten Liverpool three times and drawn once now this season, apparently. So yeah. they've obviously got the wood over them for, for this season. On Pied, it's quite an interesting one because he's sort of in the same boat as Vardy where he, I think he's 28 or 29. So the fact that he's only coming onto the scene now makes it a really interesting one and actually probably plays into West, Ham, West Ham's hands in terms of keeping him. That some of the bigger clubs might not um, be willing to make a huge outlay on him because of his age. Yeah, agreed. Um, and then obviously the other thing to look at is I guess teams that he kind of would fit in. So, like for instance, Man City, he's not likely to fit into that um, yeah. that kind of squad there, unless, unless he wants, he's happy to sit on the bench and be rotated every now and then. United could probably use an attacking midfielder. So, I mean, there are definitely options there for him if you wanted to to kind of chase it. But I think as long as West Ham continue to show, um, like if they make Europe again this or for next season, I think I don't think he would need to push a move in that case. Um, yeah, it, w- it will be interesting to see what he does. Though. I think the the contract is probably the right move for both him and West Ham, so that if he does want to take off in twelve months or eighteen months or whatever, then at least West Ham will kind of cash in a little bit on it. Um, so there's a little bit of respect there from both club and player, I think. And then just on China, and and in fact West Ham, I think the latest player linked with a move to China was um, Nikita Jelovic, who's one of their backup strikers, obviously formerly of Hull with a £9 million move to uh, a second division Chinese club, which just amazes me because of the fact that he was so unwilling to play championship football with us, and yet is clearly perfectly happy to, to move off to a second division Chinese club. So um, I think that's certainly one where it shows just how much money you can talk with some players. Um, but it's amazing yeah. the outlays that you're getting from these Chinese clubs. So um, a comment on, on these Chinese purchases as a whole? It's simple. The Chinese government want football to be a big thing. I mean, I suspect I'll get the next Asian World Cup. I mean, it's undeniable because they'll probably bribe the right people. That'll be what, 2030? Uh, no, 20... What's it? 2022 is... Uh, it has to be like 20... 2034 34? at the earliest or something yeah. like that. It's, yeah, but they're just paying for it. I mean, they want... They've mainly got, like, most of the Brazilian players did too. I mean, not the European ones, but... Yeah, yeah. Ones who weren't good enough for Europe are just going to their league. I mean, rumours going around that Wayne Rooney he is next on their radar. I mean, he'll be looking at what? And Toure as well, I think. Oh, he'll be there. Guaranteed with Guardiola coming in. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. It's probably... Well, it's a bit concerning also that there are some Australians going there as well. Concerning? I mean, I don't necessarily see China as a bad league, especially if it's going to improve in quality as it is trying to do. Um, I I question the quality of the infrastructure and that sort of thing, though, in terms of helping these younger guys develop. But apparently the Chinese are looking towards us for some infrastructure advice and coaching advice and all that. So maybe if we get some Chinese money, maybe we'll start producing a bit better players. I mean, it's interesting, but you just don't know. Jets? Well, it's kind of come out of nowhere, all the money for the, some of the players they're buying. I don't know that it's necessarily bad for the Australian players to be going across. I think um, just 
I, and I'll admit now, I don't know a whole lot about the Chinese league, but you watch the the Asian Champions League, and the Chinese clubs generally do pretty well um, against even the, the A-League clubs. So I don't necessarily buy into the fact that it's bad for the development. I think it, I think it'd be quite good for the development, for, depending on what clubs you go to. I think um, I saw an interview with Tim Cahill earlier this week, which I thought was quite interesting, and in that he was saying that um, he he's obviously at Shanghai, which is quite a large city, but he was saying that some of these players are kind of signing for clubs in uh, locations that are quite remote, um, and he's kind of wondering how, like, obviously these players are on big money, but it's a it's a big change going from somewhere yeah. from in Europe to uh, the middle of nowhere in China, even with the money. It's um it'll be a different lifestyle, so it'll be interesting to see how some of these guys settle um, with with football. But I can totally understand why they're doing it. I know I think um, Cruyff mentioned it on the board at some point. The money that's being offered, you'd be silly not to in some regards. Again, it makes more sense for like a Ramirez or a Paulinho. The career's kind of no, it's not over, but it's starting to kind of settle down. You move to China for two or three years on the money that they're on, you can set yourself up for life. It'd that's be kind that's of silly. why it's, it's such a coup that they got uh, Texiera because I think he's the first player that's gone there in, in sort of his prime while, or even coming into his prime where bigger clubs like Liverpool and Chelsea were after him in January. Um, with someone like a Jackson Martinez even, you can kind of understand as you're saying, these guys, he's had, a, he's had a poor season in Spain, his stock's kind of dipped and he might be sort of looking towards the end of his career and setting himself up quite well on quite, quite a big pay packet. But, but it's interesting with guys like Texera, and that's sort of the calibre of players that I think China needs to start looking at in the next 12 to 18 months to so, sort of bring in, where these guys aren't towards the end of their playing life, and they're actually kind of looking to improve, um, which would really kind of lift the perception of the league, because, and I think the MLS is starting to try and do that as well, where for a long time it was seen as a retirement league and you need to take that, and that's a good first step because you get those calibre players and those names coming in, but you need to take that next step where you suddenly start bringing in the younger guys where people go, oh, well, hang on, actually, this is like a viable league to go and actually play part of my career in. Yeah, I think it's interesting. What they'll want to be, and the Chinese won't particularly care about it, but someone like that Texera, he was looking at Liverpool and then when that didn't occur, a week later he was off to China because of the money. So it suggests to me that if he's happy to do it like that just to go to China, I'm sure he's happy just as well to go away from China. So it will be interesting to see if they can get those younger players in the next one. But unless they're kind of wanting to go there in the first place, it seems like China was a bit of a, a fallback option for him. Whether he stays there for a couple of years or not will, will kind of remain to be seen, but it's very interesting at the very least. And of course, as you say, the other issue is, of course, if these players go to China and aren't playing particularly well, whether these clubs can then afford next transfer window to bring in even more players or whether they have to try and offload these players who are going to be on grossly excessive salaries and obviously won't want to move. Um, so whether they're sort of painting themselves into a corner or whether they'll have the scope to continue to buy... Um, will certainly be very interesting. Um, one club that certainly has a lot of money to buy, we'll, we'll move now into the previews for the weekend, is is Manchester United in the early game against Sunderland. Um, United starting to look better, a, a bit better, as we were saying earlier, Cookson. Uh, how do you see yourselves in this game? Well, it is Sunderland, and Sunderland is shit. Let's get that right. Which means <laughs> it's even going to go two ways. 
we win 4-0 or we lose in an embarrassing fashion 1-0. How do and you say it, Jack? Uh, sorry, keep going. It really does depend on how we go out and play. We go out, play decently, play fast, attacking football, we win. If we come out playing slow, laborious football that honestly generates nothing, I reckon we're going to lose. I mean, it's just we need to get out there, play, get on the front foot, be a bit more creative, and just win. What's your take on um, Depay's season so far? It's just... Oh, he's just out of confidence, out of form. I mean, he's still a class player, but... Again, probably... You shouldn't really be putting on a sub who's known for being an attacking player when you need to defend. That sub made zero sense. And he's just been given five minutes here and there, which is, again, not helping match rhythm. So, again, it's been a tough first season, but I'd expect him to improve. Jets? Yeah, it's an interesting game. Um, Sunderland are an odd one. Yeah, like... When Allardyce went there, you kind of expected that the results... Uh, sorry, the performances have improved a little bit. Um, and in certain games, they've improved quite a bit. But they're still not picking up the results that I thought they might under Allardyce. Yeah. Um, and it's becoming a, it's very quickly becoming an issue for them to the point where even if they win on the weekend, they're still not out of that relegation zone. So they need to start picking up points as a bit of an urgency now. Um, I think United have definitely turned to... Well... It's probably a little bit too early to say they turned a corner, but the last two performances have been much improved, um, and I suspect that they should be too strong for Sunderland on the weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I probably see United winning this one, and, and you raised the point. I'm surprised that Sunderland under um, Big Sam have been so poor defensively because I thought when they appointed him that he'd almost be the perfect appointment for them because uh, he'd actually finally get them playing decent football uh, in terms of defending better and conceding a, f- a lot less goals than they have in the past um, where they've seemed to have these managers who'll come in and, and get them kind of playing okay for a little bit but then still having games where they'll just concede huge score lines. but he, he really doesn't seem to have had the same impact that I actually thought he would so um, it's starting to look quite ominous for them really because they're sort of slipping away from that pack where it's, it's almost just becoming um, that 18th spot up for grabs and, and 19th and 20th are almost sealed. Um, but yeah, I certainly would back United for a win in that one. Um, Bournemouth at home to Stoke. Stoke have been quite poor. I mean, they've, they've lost their last two games 3-0. Um, and Bournemouth are starting to look a lot better with Benique Afobe scoring quite a few goals for them. Um, so it's an interesting one. I mean, if Bournemouth win that one, they sort of start to pull away from that relegation zone and, and edge a lot closer to the 40-point barrier. So how do you guys see this one? Ooh. Probably a oh, Bournemouth winning two one. Yeah, I think I think Bournemouth will win. I think um, their confidence is quite high at the moment. They obviously had the loss to Arsenal mid, uh, on the weekend, but I don't think there's any great shame in in losing to Arsenal, especially as, uh, where Bournemouth is uh, in their development in the Premier League. I guess um, Stoke. Have, I can't believe how much Stoke have fallen off. To be honest, there's. I watched them win against Everton probably a month and a half, two months ago, and thought that they looked really good. Like, it wasn't a great defensive display that day, but as far as an attacking threat, like, they beat United and then they'd kind of um, and gone on and beat Everton away. It was 
I was kind of thinking they could push on to, to kind of top six or something like that, but in the last three or four weeks, their performances have been dreadful. We beat them 3-0 as well, so uh, I, I know we're in good form and all the rest, but they just they haven't shown anything. I think they were looking forward to that uh, League Cup semi, and ever since kind of that week, it's, it's, it's all fallen apart for them pretty badly. In fairness, if they do get the win against Bournemouth, they could move um, back into the top half above Everton. So uh, that that middle range of the table from Chelsea up to Everton is quite is starting to become quite tight, um, even down to, to West Brom, really. Um, so it's going to be an interesting few weeks, I think, to see how that, that all uh, changes around. Um, Next game is Crystal Palace at home to Watford, and, and as we talk about that middle range of the table, these sides are separated by one point. Um, Palace really, really struggling to score goals at the moment, and, and there's been a bit of chat on the board about the Pardew effect and, and all that, but Watford as well have really struggled for goals lately, and Igalo and Dini haven't really been scoring as freely as they were at the start of the season. Um, so this this game almost has nil-nil written all over it. At the start of the season, you would have thought this would be you know 3-3 or something. Yeah, Oof, it's probably is a tough game to pick. I mean, Palace. I mean, I'm not sure if it's, have they been in a bit of lull, bad form lately. Yeah, they 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 went about five games without scoring, I think. Yeah. And Watford, they've been pretty decent this season. I think if I was a betting man, I'd go for Watford. It's an interesting one. It's um, just for interest's sake, it's 17th versus 20th on the form table in the last six games. They, yeah, as you said, they've, they've both completely void of confidence at the moment. Palace in particular have been, um, I think, quite poor. Again, I haven't seen all of their games, so I can't judge completely, but they've looked a little bit, um, yeah, probably light up front is the main one. They're defending, they're not leaking on a whole lot of goals, but... They're not scoring much at all. And then Watford, Agarlo seems to have gone a little bit quiet. And Well, Dini was on the bench last week, so they're obviously not happy where we, with where he's at. Um, it'll be an interesting game, only to see who's kind of steps up for it, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, score predictions? Uh, I'll go I'll go Palace 2-1. Uh, Watford 1-0. Alrighty, I'll I'll stick with my nil nil. I think I, I really I struggle to see where the goals are going to come from in that one. Um, Everton at home to West Brom, and West Brom are another one who are sort of struggling along a bit at the moment. Um, but then so are Everton to some extent. That they did have a good win um, last time out. Um, how do we see this one? Ooh. See, was this Swansea Southampton? Uh, Everton West Brom. Oh, Everton West Brom. Uh, I mean, have Everton also been really out of form, have they? Well, they beat Stoke last time out, did they? Yeah. So yeah, they they they've, they've so. done all right, and and I think it should be said Aaron Lennon scored three times um, in a row for the first time in his career, and I think I heard some stat about them scoring nine goals in a single week for the first time ever or something like that. So they've, they've, they've looked all right because they also had a 3-0 win against Newcastle um, uh, during the week, I think, uh, previously or, or last weekend. Um, so they, they've looked all right. 
Lukaku's sort of starting to find his scoring boots again. Yeah, I mean, and West Brom have been well, a bit average this season, so... Yeah, probably I'll go Everton. Yeah, it's like Goodison. I think um, Everton are coming off back-to-back uh, -back wins for the first time in quite a while. They've been a bit hard to pick this season, but they look like they're finally getting their act together. West Brom have, um, I don't know, probably flown under the radar a little bit with how um, average they've been, I've guessed. They're not really, they haven't really been relegation-threatened at any point, but they're, I mean, it's not really been that inspiring for a season for them, so... Um, I think uh, Goodison and Everton will be probably too strong. I'd say probably three, maybe two or three nil. Fair enough. Um, we've then also got Norwich at home to West Ham, and this is a game that Norwich are almost sort of penciling in as a must-win game because if they lose that one as well, then it, the danger signs really start to flare up for them as they, they're now sitting in the relegation zone. Um I'll, ask, I'll probably ask the question after we finish previewing the games in terms of who you think will get relegated, but how much danger are Norwich in? Probably, well, quite a lot of danger, I would expect. I mean, they're not winning games. Been shipping in quite a few goals as well recently. So who's your pick? West Ham in this one? Yeah, oh yeah, West Ham 3-0, massive winners. Yeah, I, I think Norwich are in big trouble. I think their defence is an absolute shambles at the moment. It's you're not going to be able to avoid relegation if you if you're leaking goals as easily as they are. Um, West Ham have played midweek, which should help Norwich a little bit, and they did play a fairly strong squad. There were some injuries this morning for West Ham as well, so Norwich have probably got them at a good game week. Um, but if, if Norwich have any chance to survive, they've got to start winning these home games. At the very least, they've got to kind of make home um, a place where they're picking up points. I can't see it, though. I just can't see it this week. Nate Smith was a very good acquisition for them. So I, I think he'll, if anyone, he'll sort of um, provide the, the creativity to sort of get them scoring some goals to keep them up. But, yeah, I think they're in a bit of trouble at the moment. And I think West Ham will probably edge that one. Um, another team that's struggled a bit with relegation um, potential for most of this season was Swansea, who are now starting to pull away just a little bit. Um, and they're at home to Southampton, who've also kind of struggled a little bit for form, but, but have looked a lot better recently with Forster back in goal. Um, Southampton might edge this one. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Um, we'll start with Jats. Uh, yeah, Swansea have looked much better. They've, I mean, they've picked up eight points in the last four games, so um, it, it's definitely improved from where they were. I think they're they're starting to get some results, which was really important with, um, especially after they sacked Monk. I think um, they needed to kind of make that worthwhile, and it's whether that's worth whether it's been the right choice is, is still up in the air. But they're at least now pulling away from that relegation area. Southampton have been interesting. They've um, they've picked up thirteen points in the last six games, so. They've had four wins and a draw in their last five. They're they're looking quite good again. They they went through a bit of a mid-season slump a little bit, but they're they're coming uh, good towards the end of the season, I think. So uh, I I'll say Southampton in that one. And and that draw for Southampton was against Arsenal as well. So it's it's um, a very decent set of results there. Um, yeah. So how do you see this one, Cookie? Well, I probably see Southampton winning. I mean, Swansea have just. They've just had a really bad season. And again, with Forster back in goals, solid def 
will probably would mean they're a bit solid in defending, so I expect Southampton to win 2-0. Um, and the late game, we've got Chelsea's favourite fixture, which is up against Newcastle. Um, still undefeated under Hiddink, which is is pretty impressive for Chelsea after the way they started the season. Um, uh, how do we see this one? Should still be a pretty straightforward win for Chelsea? Don't Newcastle tend to beat Chelsea? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I was trying to allude to that a little bit. I mean, they, I think they've been worse at, at St. James Park. I'm not sure if the record at home is quite as bad, but... Newcastle do seem to get the upset win against them quite often. It's probably going to be a draw, probably a high-scoring draw as well. Because I think that was it. That was the first fixture they had this year. Was um, Newcastle was up two 0 and Chelsea managed to scrape back to a two-two draw. So um, yeah, it could be a repeat on the cards. How do you see it, Jats? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, Newcastle's been a bit of a bogey side for them over the years. So um, hitting records. I don't think you can argue that they're definitely playing better. I'm not sure that they're anywhere near what they should be, though. Um, there's been a lot of average performances in there still. Uh, it's obviously not as consistent as what it was against uh, under Mourinho, but they're not exactly kind of pulling back up uh, yeah. the table as quickly as what I suspected they might. I think against Newcastle, they should be too strong, but, I mean, they should have been too strong against a lot of the teams they've played this season. So um, it's probably more interesting than what... You, it would be if Chelsea were, were firing on all cylinders. Yeah, I'll probably back Chelsea in a close one there, but you're right. I mean, under hitting, whilst I've said they're undefeated, they have had a lot of draws, so it's not as if they're kind of climbing back up that table. Um, and when a few games into the season, I think when Klopp had been appointed, I had a wager with a friend that Liverpool would finish above Chelsea, and it's becoming a very, very interesting um, <laughs> very interesting battle at the moment, I think. It's becoming a lot closer than I think we are either of us anticipated, so we'll see how that one pans out. Um, the Sunday night looks like a pretty boring night, so I'll probably give a miss to all these <laughs> games this Sunday. <laughs> We've got the top four playing each other. We've got Arsenal at home to Leicester, so we'll start with that one. Um, and we've discussed at the, at the start of the podcast what it would mean, but Leicester, best away record in the league, only one defeat. Um, Arsenal beating them 5-2 the last time they played. All signs point to a pretty entertaining game. So how do you see it, Jats? Yeah, I think so. It's it's amazing. I don't know how often the top four have all played off against each other in the one round. So um, just straight off the bat, that's a, that's a great yeah. night of football. It's a shame it's a Sunday night, but I guess yeah, I'll yeah. stay out for that. Um, yeah, I, it's a, it'll be a really interesting one against Arsenal. The, the Arsenal fans are pretty confident on the board, and, and probably so they should be. They're still, um, they should still probably be beating us at home, but they haven't been in the best of form. They looked a bit better against Bournemouth. Um, meanwhile, we've been absolutely flying. It's got to be said. So, I think before the City performance, I would have said we would struggle at Arsenal, but I don't know. The boys have probably turned me a little bit, and I think. I actually think we can go to Arsenal and get a win. I think it'll depend on probably the defensive partnership with Arsenal. If Vardy can get in behind kind of um, Gabriel or whoever's, whoever's playing there, uh, I think we can hit him on the counter just as well as we hit City. So um, Wenger did have us in the in the first game 5-2, which was um, it was Sanchez hat-trick, which I think is the only kind of hat-trick he's hit all season. Lucky us. Um <laughs> But it'll be interesting, uh, as I said to uh, Thomas Nine, who, uh, shout out to him if he's listening, <laughs> um, there's it, been a lot that's happened since then, and our defensive structure is uh, 10 times better than what it was then, so um, I can see it going similar to the City game in the way it's, the game plays out, it'll be, I guess, whether we take our chances as opposed to Arsenal taking theirs. 
Would you take a point now if it meant that uh, City won their game against Spurs? That would be the perfect result almost. Um, yeah, City are fourth at the moment, yeah? Yeah, but the, but if they beat Spurs, they would be... I guess they'd be four points behind you if you drew with Arsenal. They would, yeah. And I think, um, just again, on the back of our next five, I think I'd like a point from Arsenal. But even if we lose, we're, we then come into easier fixtures on paper. Whether the boys get up for that, it's pretty easy for them at the moment to be up against games with City and Arsenal because they're such huge games and everyone's watching. The, the test will be, obviously, with those next five. But... As, as they're taking up first things, well, one game at a time, I, I don't think there should be any issue with their focus or anything like that. I think it'll it'll literally come down to probably taking chances in this one. I, I'm a bit curious about um, if you beat Arsenal, whether... Who's, who's your captain? Uh, Wes Morgan. Wes Morgan. I wonder if after you, if you beat Arsenal, he'll gather all the boys up and he'll say... Next week, we go again. We go to Norwich, we go again. <laughs> uh, uh, like another famous captain um, said a few seasons ago, because I, I couldn't help but notice that your next game is against Norwich. Um, so it will be interesting on the run. And as you say, it's those smaller games that can really be the banana skins, because when the world's watching, when you're not expected to win the game, it's very easy to go there like you did to City, and you can show up and you can play spectacularly, but it's those smaller games where you're expected to swat the opposition aside that... Uh, those side Norwich fighting for a spot in the league can can really kind of take it to you. Yeah, um, they can. They can. I think. Um, yeah, I'm going to see a draw in this one. How do you here's see how, it, Cookson? Here's how it would happen. Arsenal will probably win this and look impressive. Then they will lose the next two. Yeah, I mean that's what that's, Arsenal does, and that's usually kind of, what Arsenal happened. It's what was they it, do. Was it Cruyff or was it Thomas Nine or someone on the board made that prediction that it's it's. Typical Arsenal, where they'll show up against Leicester and they'll have a good win and then drop points to whoever they've got next. I think they've got... Oh, they've got United next. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Drop points there. <laughs> but then Swansea the week after, like, you know, they'll go to Swansea and drop points. I mean, it does seem very typical Arsenal to do that. Um, yeah, so what, what do you reckon the score will be, uh, Cookie? Well, what I want is Leicester to win. Because that means when we beat Arsenal, it's less points gone. But... I reckon it'd probably be Arsenal winning 2-0. Sanchez will probably pull something out of his arse. Yeah, oh, it, it's a tough game to call. I mean, I, I didn't, admittedly didn't give you much of a chance against City. I just couldn't see City losing at home because um, they have been so good at home. But um, with the performance produced, it's so hard to see how they can't get something against Arsenal um, with the way they're playing at the moment. So I... Oh, I might see I might see a draw in this one, maybe a two-two draw, because I do think Arsenal will be up for it. But yeah, it's both teams can produce performances at both ends of the scale. So you know, Arsenal beat them five-two last time, but then Arsenal can drop points in, in a lot of games. So yeah, it'll be a great be a great clash. I'll probably um, be a little bit tired to work watching that one before I go to sleep. Um, a game that I'm I'm not so keen to stay up for is Liverpool against Aston Villa. Um, Benteke against this old mob. Um, it's it's a it's a tough game to call. I mean, Liverpool have been in pretty poor form. Villa really needing points for survival. Um, how do you guys see this one? I know I'm not going to see it, so <laughs> doesn't really matter. <laughs> any any chance of a Villa win? Yes, Villa Aston Villa will win four <laughs> nil. Jets. Oh yeah, 
I don't know, to be honest. Uh, you would think Liverpool. I think Sturridge should... Well, it'll be interesting to see, actually. Sturridge probably played more minutes this morning than what they would have liked with the extra time period. Um, so, I mean, he's got to a point where he really just needs to play now. So I think he'll probably start as long as he pulls up okay. I think with Sturridge in the side, that will make the difference. If Sturridge misses, I could actually see a draw in this one. I can just imagine supporters staying awake and watching Arsenal-Leicester and being keen to stay all up all the way to quarter past three to watch um, City Spurs and having and being forced to watch Villa-Liverpool and just saying to themselves, just stay awake, <laughs> just stay awake. Um, it's going to be a true test to people's patience, I think. Yeah, I mean... Villa really need to get a result in this one if they want any chance. We kind of alluded at the start to, you know, whether they could get on any sort of run to survive, but it would just be typical Liverpool to lose or, or draw this game. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a hard one to call. Um, the last game up for discussion is second against fourth. Um, and, and credit does have to go to Spurs. We, we rarely talk about Spurs unless I've got one of the um, Spurs supporters on, but they've kind of crept up the second without too much fanfare and, and they're certainly having a brilliant season. Um, City do seem to be their bogey side somewhat with Aguero loving a day out against Spurs, but um, how much how much um, chance do we give Spurs in this one? I reckon they could probably get a draw. I mean, they've got decent enough players, decent enough defenders, but... Can Aguero is still the big risk, so... Depends. Can they score at least two goals? <laughs> yeah. Eddie had. That's a big question. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It will be interesting. Um, I agree. I think Spurs have been absolutely fantastic this season. And we've probably stolen some of the headlines that they deserve for it, to be honest. They've... Um, Obviously, Harry Kane's had another productive campaign and um, the likes of Ali coming through. The defence has been superb. Um, they're actually my tip for the title still at this point. I think they've, they've just flown under the radar. But, I mean, you look at their goal difference. Their goal difference alone kind of stands out above anyone's and it's it's probably a testament to the way they've played, to be honest. Um, they haven't always got the results maybe that, um, that they should have got from the performances. Um, but they've been absolutely outstanding. I think... City is an interesting one. I, It's hard to see City being so poor at home two weeks in a row. Um, but then Spurs are playing exceptionally well and City aren't. So I actually think Spurs can do them. And it, it depends how Spurs line up. But if I was Spurs, I would honestly be looking at the way we did it last week. Maybe not sitting so far deep because they've got better players that they probably don't need to. But I would let kind of City have the possession and then hit them with Harry Kane on the counter. We've seen kind of how bad or how poor their centre-backs can be with a bit of pace. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'll call a Spurs win here. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll probably still give the edge to City, but then again, I gave them the edge against um, Leicester last week, so it's a hard one to call. Like you say, you, you doubt that City would have two poor performances at home in a row, but... Spurs have been playing particularly well. I, I mean, I agree. I think if they use Lamella and Eriksson and, and Ali as those sorts of forward players who can press, um, City don't seem to like teams to play that kind of pressing game, st- game style. Um, yeah, maybe... I, I reckon it'll be City, but it'll be a high-scoring one in that. I think maybe 3-2 or something like that. 
Um, battle and- of the midfield will be interesting, I think. The, the battle of the midfield there, it, if Yaya yeah. can get up for it and actually do what he's supposed to do, it, it'll make a massive difference. But you look at the Tottenham midfield at the moment, they're just absolutely flying. So uh, it, it'll be a really good game. I probably won't stay up for it, unfortunately, just because I've got work the next day. So I'll be... Uh, I'll probably be waking up looking for a, hoping for a City win, but probably expecting to see a Spurs one. Yeah, I might record that one and hopefully try and catch a bit of it before work. Um, and then just a final thought from you guys. I wanted to get your tips for relegation places because um, we've talked about it a little bit. Who do you guys see going down at this stage? Ooh, I definitely see Sunderland going down. I mean, that's about question. They've just been bog average. I just see Sunderland... Norwich, probably Aston Villa. And Jets? Uh, Aston Villa, definitely. I think Norwich don't have the defence to stay up, so I think they're in big trouble. Sunderland's an interesting one. I mean, there's still 13 games left, so they've still got time. I think their performances have often been better in recent times than maybe what the results were. If they can somehow translate those performances into points, I think they could be okay. Um but they are, they'll need to start picking them up within the next couple of games. If they leave it too long from here, it's going to be a real issue. So um, I'll still say Sunderland, but out of the three that are in there at the moment, I think they're the most likely to escape it. And then who do you think is the most likely to go down if it wasn't Sunderland? It's a good question. Um, I think, well, yeah, you'd probably say Newcastle next closest, but then I think their performances will start to improve as well. I think Swansea would want to make sure that they continue to pick up points. Um, but I can only see it being Swansea or Newcastle, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to look beyond that too much because I think West Brom and Bournemouth will probably pick up just enough points to pull away. But it's it's interesting because everyone says every year, I mean, oh, for sure it's going to be these three going down because look at how far away they are. But then you get to those final ten games or eight games and... and Relegation plays funny things with players' forms sometimes, and you see teams go on ridiculous runs. I mean, Sunderland have done it two years in a row now, and it used to be Wigan that would always do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I could see maybe Norwich turning it around. I think their defending is poor at the moment, but they're going to have to basically do with the Leicester model of last season and just try and outscore their opponents and play without any fear. And um, it could be an interesting relegation battle or it could be over very quickly because if Newcastle and Swansea can keep picking up some points then they could keep pulling away. So um, it'll be one that'll be a bit clearer, I think, in the next few games. Um, and then just as a final point before we sign off, I, I did make mention of it earlier, but Middlesbrough played this morning against MK Dons. Only, only managed to get a draw in the last minute courtesy of a Jordan Rhodes goal. Um, and they they were without a win within four, they were without a win in four games now, um, despite going back up to the summit um, after that result this morning. So, championships starting to look a bit more um, clear um, with probably Hull, Burnley, and Middlesbrough fighting it out for those top two spots. I can't really see Derby getting back into it now, especially with Clement now gone, um, and then their owner seemingly not focused on promotion for this season. Um, but it'll certainly be an interesting one. And then I think the top six is looking quite interesting as well with Brighton and Sheffield Wednesday particularly starting to pick up some form as well. So I think the playoffs could be quite interesting, but it's certainly um, looking quite strong and therefore I'd probably want to be looking to avoid the playoffs at all costs um, and just going up automatically. 
Yeah, the playoffs are important to avoid. Speak, trust it from someone that uh, <laughs> lost uh, to Watford in one of those playoff situations. Absolutely ridiculous, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, that was, that was bad that night. That was I, real think, bad. I think as well, going into the playoffs, I mean, obviously going into the playoffs, you'd rather be coming from like 7th or 8th, charging up to 6th or 5th. Um, but at the same time, even if you're in 4th, 5th, 6th for most of the season, you don't mind being in the playoffs. But if you're in that race for the automatic spots and you just miss out, it can just be so deflating and so difficult to then pick yourself up the next week for the playoffs that um, even if you're the third best team all season, it can be very hard to still go up through the playoffs. It definitely can. Those playoffs, as you say, form's the most important thing at that point. And it might be that sixth has come from five places back within the last three weeks to, to kind of pick up that spot. Derby... Derby were in that playoff final against QPR only a couple of seasons ago. So, um, yeah, they, they've had experience there, but then they've also had the losing experience. Borough is an interesting one. I think um, that they're in a lucky position in that they've, right, they've been able to lo- or draw those four games or whatever, and they've still been near the top. But they won't want it to go on too much longer, I wouldn't have thought. It's, becoming, it's starting to become an issue. When it, when it gets to four or five games and you're not winning, it can become a little bit. Um, it can become a mental as much as anything. Yeah, and I think because they had it was two losses and then now two draws, and and yeah, their supporters are quite happy to point out that they're still at the top, but I think that more highlights just how much of a lead they did have and how much dominance they did have, and that they're now yes they're still in the lead, but for instance they're only um, one point ahead of Hull, um, and if you, as you say if it carries on for any any much longer, you just have to look. I mean Derby of of Without without a win in seven games now, and they've dropped back quite severely. Um, when they were up at the top quite recently as well, so it it doesn't take much to drop off, and it's a it's a hyper competitive league, um, and you really need to be averaging about two points a game to go up in those promotion in those automatic spots. So um, it's going to be interesting. One one thing I did want to mention, I only saw the article maybe an hour before coming on the podcast, and I thought it was a quirky little thing that kind of highlights, I guess, how tight our finances are, but uh, on deadline day, we signed two players. We signed a goalkeeper for £275,000 and, and Nick Powell on loan from United. The only reason we were able to afford those two players was because we drew Arsenal away in the cup. So the, the, the income that we're going to get from that away game was enough that our finances were loose enough that we were able to give the green light to those two players. So I don't know if... I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that means that we're in a perilous position because we're, we're still comfortably able to operate. But in terms of financial fair play and in terms of how much the owners are willing to tip in, I thought that was a very um, damning, in some ways, um, and revealing element of, of our transfer window. It's an interesting one. You wouldn't have thought that would be the case. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, I can't imagine the revenue would be that large from from a cup tie. I suppose because yeah. it's televised as well. You're not an FFP trouble, are you? No, I, I don't get that sense from the club. I mean, I think that's precisely the issue, is that they don't want to be in FFP trouble, which is why they're curbing the spending um, and being quite strict about how much they're willing to spend. Um, and, and interestingly, the FFP, I didn't realise the next window that they analyse clubs is three years from now. So that could be part of the reason why Middlesbrough, Derby... Um, Sheffield Wednesday and so on are spending quite a lot of money now because they then have three seasons to trim it back off if they don't get promotion and could be why Derby's so willing to, to look further into the future. I didn't realise that. That makes a lot more sense. Cause, yeah, yeah I thought it was it. a year-by-year thing. 
Yeah, I, I must admit, I thought that as well. I know QPR, only because my mate, but I know QPR are still being looked at for their one. That's still going around at the moment, so... Uh, I, I don't yeah. know, whatever happened to that fine? Cause didn't we have a, we, didn't we have a bet at some point about whether they'd end up paying it? We probably did. It's still going <laughs> on, apparently. I, I yeah. thought it was finalised, but he was saying to me today that it's... Um, they're still kind of arguing it, so they don't yeah. want to pay it, obviously, and um, the league are probably still chasing for it by all reports, so yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. It's um, taken way too long, though. Absolutely. Um, and we've probably taken way too long as well, so yeah. I'll, I'll leave it there, boys. Did you have any closing thoughts? Who's your tip for the title? Oh, my heart says Leicester, my head says uh, Manchester City. I think they'll... They, they'll well, it depends how they go with the whole Pellegrini thing. I think that's a big issue. It's so hard because you kind of say the logical choice can't be Leicester, but at the same time, the logical choice has to be Leicester because no one else is playing consistently enough. Maybe maybe Tottenham, like you're saying, I think might be the other big challenger. Um, I don't know. Um, who's your tip, Cookson? Oof. Well, this is only, what, mid-February? We've still yet to go through March and all that, so... I'll go for United because we're through <laughs> and all that. That's optimistic. Twelve points back, jeez. Hey, you never know what can happen. All right. Well, I think on that note, I'll um I'll sign us off. So thanks for coming on, boys. No worries. No worries. And thanks everyone for listening in. Until next time, I hope your team wins.